based upon the teaching is this, to increase understanding of God's presence and therefore, therefore to stir a desire in each one of us to walk in that. So let's get ready for this teaching. Um, I want you just to take a moment. Are you ready to hear from God's word today? Okay, just take this man out of the way. If I could just disappear, okay? It has to be about him. I'm just a vehicle, and probably the, the worst job I do today will probably be the greatest opportunity for God, all right? That's what we want is him. So uh, what would keep you from fully receiving? Some of these things are very real pains that you're carrying personally, very real things you're concerned about in our world or in our nation. And I just want you to take a moment here and I want you just to begin casting your cares upon the Lord. Would you do that? Find presence. You can't get away from God's presence. God is everywhere. After Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit, they ran and hid from God. And when God asked the question, where are you? He already knew. There's nowhere that you can be where God isn't. He's everywhere. Perhaps David at some point in his life tried to get away from God, or maybe it was just something that <clears throat> his parents taught him. Maybe they even pointed to Adam and Eve's effort. You know, maybe there was this day that uh, David was sneaking around like little boys like to do. And so mom and dad uh, Realizing what was going on, they sat him down and they said, Son, you may be able to pull the wool over our eyes, but there's no escaping the presence of God. Remember Adam and Eve. Maybe it was a lesson like that. But regardless, somehow David got the message, and so he gives us in Psalm 139, verse 7, these words, talking to God, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go? From your presence. And of course, these are rhetorical questions. The assumed answer is there is nowhere I can go from your spirit. There is nowhere I can go from your presence because there's nowhere that I can go where God isn't already there. And once David got a hold of this, he was able, uh, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, to give us some expressions of that presence when he goes on in verse 7 If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, you are there. If I settle on the side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. And I began this teaching kind of on a negative side of uh, God's presence where Adam and Eve literally want to get away from God's presence, actually get away from God's blessing and God's uh, provisions and God's protection for whatever reason because of our nature I shouldn't say for whatever reason we know what that reason is our nature our own wants things that we're curious about we got away from God's prison but here David gives a very positive set of conclusions let me put it this way when we walk in the reality of God's presence it means that no matter where we are and it means that no matter what circumstances we may face look at it God's hand will guide us and his right hand his strong hand, that's the emphasis on right hand, his strong hand will hold you fast. God is everywhere, and that's a good thing. We, we have some theological terms that, that help us with this. The term omni, omnipresence, we think of, which means 
all or universally present. That gives the expression that you've been hearing me say again and again this morning. There's nowhere you can go that God isn't there. The word Tozer uses in his book is divine imminence, which means there are no limitations to where God can be at the same time. Now, there have been those who have wanted to confuse this by giving the claim that God is the sum of his creation. Okay, did you hear that? God is the sum of creation. And, and by doing this, they're saying that God is whatever you want him to be. If you want him to be that tree, that's fine. If you want him to be that rock, that's fine. Or that fish or that bird or whatever you want him to be, well, that's part of God. So you can worship that too. But there's a word for that that Tozer uses. It's the word pantheism. But that's not what this is about. God's omnipresence, God's divine eminence is not about pantheon. Is the idea that we, or the idea we need to get grasped is this: God is separate from His creation, and God is above His creation. Yet there's nowhere you can go that God isn't. And there's a warning in this. That that warning is very simple that we are to be about worshiping the creator and not the created thing. Okay, we have a word for worshiping the created thing, and that's called idolatry. And that's not the God we serve. God is the maker of all things. God is here. Wherever you are, God is there. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Simple truth, even from Tozer. A number of years ago, I was at a retreat in uh, Prescott, Arizona. I, I don't think I was a student at NAU at the time, but, you know, uh, doggone it, I had to go to the bathroom. Can you imagine that? And I remember it being one of those stereotype bathrooms, you know, where every sound uh, is magnified and your voice just resonates, you know, tile floors, tile walls. And as I'm sitting there, I heard the sound of a little boy come into that bathroom. It took him a few minutes to realize that someone else was in there. <laughs> and once he did, in a very quiet, sheepish tone, he asked, Is someone in here? <laughs> well, it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. So uh, <laughs> I had to say, Yes. <laughs> And then he said, who is it? And I said, God. <laughs> and it was really quiet for just a few seconds. And then through the crack on the stall door were these two tiny little eyeballs. And that little guy asked the question, is it really? <laughs> and why not? Why couldn't it have been? Only a small child would ask such a question, a question of wonder. If God is everywhere, shouldn't we expect to encounter him even in the bathroom? Huh? Shouldn't we expect to interact with him daily in our lives? This is what we're talking about. All right. Michelangelo. I've got to show you this painting. He intensely labored on this piece. He worked on this part of the ceiling for four years. It's been traditionally called the creation of Adam, but I don't think so. I don't think that's what he intended here because everything about this painting suggests something else. 
The fact that Adam's eyes are fully open suggests that he's already been given uh, physical life. Notice he's fully conscious. He's aware of what's going on here. So what I believe is happening is that Adam is being offered life with God. That's what's happening in this picture. But it appears there's some messages that Michelangelo wanted to send our way. And one of those messages is that God, in great determination, is wanting to be with the very people that he has created. And he comes as close as his own laws allow him to come in order to get there. But notice that tiny little gap between his finger and, and God's finger. And you have to wonder what that gap is all about. I mean, is... is Michelangelo expressing in that gap the, the opportunity that God has given us to choose, that God wants us to make the next move. Some hold on to a theological term called free will. Is that the gap that we're seeing there? But I want you to notice the direction of God's hair and, and God's beard. Look at it. It gives the idea that these hosts of heaven are urgently ushering God toward the man just as quickly as they can get, them, get him there. And God's finger is extended with such great effort that it's almost as if he has to wrap his arm around that angel, or maybe it's a woman, around her neck in order to keep himself from overextending himself because he's reaching to that man with everything. His entire being expresses an, an impatient desire. Can you get that with God? An impatient desire to be with man just as quickly as he can get there. He can't wait. That's what I see in this painting. But look at our posture. The man. Look at us. Arm partially extended. He's reclining in a lazy pose. He shows no awareness of a need for God whatsoever. His arm and finger, again, I think make the most pathetic statement of all. It's as though he has to prop his arm on his own knee and, and uh, he can barely lift his finger at all. It's kind of like a wet noodle there. huh? Could this be a sign that God needs to finish the work? Could that be what's going on here? Or could it be a sign of something that's too common in the Western world church of today? A sign of indifference? Could that be what's going on? Look closely at the man's finger. It's painted in such a way as to give the idea that he just has to just nudge it a fraction of an inch. And he could literally touch God. And I want you to see that image because I want it to be a reminder that God is closer than we think. God is closer than the kind of lives we tend to live. God wants to interact to us. If we will just make the tiniest effort to connect with him, he's moving toward us like a racehorse just out of, out of the gate and he's bringing all of his kingdom resources right with him. I am thine. O oh Lord, I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith, to be closer, Lord, to thee. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, 
to thy precious bleeding side. See, the message of the Bible isn't primarily about people trying to get, God, to, get to God. It's a message about God wanting to be with his people. Two businessmen happened to be traveling on the same plane uh, together. They didn't know each other, but they're sitting there, and one happened to notice the computer screen of the other man, and so he opened a can of worms by asking the question, is that your son? Immediately, this guy goes on uh, with, with all sorts of expressions about love for his little boy, talking about his first word, talking about his first step. Everything he said was with a great sense of, of wonder, and you better believe there are many pictures and many stories that followed until this man said, I can't wait to get home to him. I could look at these pictures a hundred times a day, and I'd never get tired of them. You know, that little boy, he'd done absolutely nothing to deserve such love from his father. He had no merits. He had no great accomplishments. His father loved him for the simple reason that this is my little boy. This is my son whom I love. And after listening for, for quite some time, this other man finally got a chance to ask Another question, he said, you obviously love your son very much. When was the last time you saw him? To which the man said, yesterday. Yesterday? <laughs> one day away from a little boy that a father loves so, so much is one day too many. And now he's rushing through the skies to be home with his little boy again. And here's the point. If God had a computer screen, your face would be on it. And you better believe that God doesn't get tired of hearing the tiniest details of your life again and again and again. And he's rushing through the skies just as quickly as he can to get to you. Let's talk just a moment about sensing God's presence. The central promise of the Bible is not God saying, I forgive you. The central promise of the Bible isn't someday you get to go to heaven and live forever. The central promise of the Bible is God saying, I will be with you. Before the, creation, or, uh, before the fall, Adam and Eve, the scriptures give us the idea that they were with God every single day. And it's a promise that continues throughout the scriptures. If you look at that same promise, it's given to Noah. You can even do a search on your Bible and find it's given to Abraham and Sarah. It's given to Jacob. It's given to Joseph. It's given to Moses and David and, and Amos and Mary and, and Paul. And we could go on and on. I said we're going to be teaching the book of Joshua this January before God led the children of Israel into the promised land. He said, why don't you read this with me? This is Joshua 1.9. I might as well get it in you. Let's read it together. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then the all too familiar 23rd Psalm. Let's read this part of it together. This is from the King James. You ready? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
When Christ the Messiah came to earth, he was given the name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. That's right. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, prior to sending the Holy Spirit, he said, surely I will be with you even to the very end of the age. And then the Bible talks about what it looks like at the very end of the age. Look at this. This is Revelation chapter 21, uh, verse 3. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them them they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God wow I got the sense some of you wanted to read that with me let's read it together all right let's do that now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and so the application right here is the thing we must celebrate today at this moment is the reality that God is with us and he's making huge positive differences in the lives of those who are learning to walk with him. Yeah, and a few amens there from those who are walking with him. And the rest of you, I don't know about. That was the giggle. <laughs> oh, listen. I want to spur you on to, that, to just this sensitivity of God's presence with you. That's what this is all about. This is a positive, positive thing. Who is a candidate for such a life? Those who will be unsatisfied with the traditions and trappings of a religion that perhaps is all too familiar and all too comfortable, yet void of any real sense of presence. Void of any real sense of power. It's for those who genuinely thirst for God. Consider a moment for a moment Jacob. In the book of Genesis chapter 28, he's traveling to his grandfather's homeland, Abraham's homeland, to find a wife. When he stops at a place that the Bible only describes this way, a certain place. Jacob had done nothing to deserve what is, what is about to happen. Truth be told, he had just uh, stolen his brother's birthright. He had deceived his father. But this night, as he stops, he has a dream. He sees a ladder extended between heaven and earth. There's angels ascending and descending. And in the midst of this, God speaks to him. And he says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And then jumping down to verse 15, he says that statement again, I am with you. And will watch over you wherever you go. Now what I really want you to see here is Jacob's response. So to see that you have to go down to verse 16. Where it says when Jacob awoke from his sleep. He thought surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. Now just look at that for just a moment. I mean it's a striking thought. The idea that God could be right here and we're not even aware of it. It's clear evidence of what we've been talking about. The distinction between the knowledge of God's presence and beginning to experience and walk in his manifest presence in such a way that he actually has impact on everything you do. He's participating with you along the way. How is it that we can come to church and feel so near to God, yet walk away and just do how, well, whatever we want? It's a lack of sensitivity toward God's presence. So we don't just need to believe that God is with us. We need to know it, and we need to experience it, and we need to live like it's really true. Divine presence. So 
our application here is that we fully place ourselves in God's hands, believing that if He is God, that there's nothing we, th we should withhold from Him. It's about full dependence upon the Holy Spirit, who is God with us, teaching us the things of God. We need Him. And we must realize that our pursuit of God will only be successful because God is so determined in his desire to be with us. Jesus stood one day and he said in a loud voice, hear what he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Is anybody thirsting from God? Is anybody tired of the drought of religion that's void of presence? Why is it that some people find them to be so real and to be so transformational while others don't? Tozer suggests that the problem isn't with God, it's with us. That that tiny gap between God's impatient straining to reach out to us with everything in him and our little step of barely lifting a finger in response. He calls it spiritual receptivity. Did you catch that word? Spiritual receptivity. How is your spiritual receptivity measuring today? Consider, consider these things. Is there something in you that senses a greater need of God's presence? Is there something in you that senses a greater need for God's kingdom resources? Is there something in you that's pulling you and drawing you Godward? Are you thirsty for more of Him? If so, thank God for that. If not, ask Him to stir that in you. But if He's doing that, just recognize it's a, it's a gift, and it's a gift that is drawing us to the most important, the greatest thing that life could ever offer us, and that's an understanding of a vital living relationship with a truly living God. That's what this is about. But it's a gift that has to be cultivated. I, whenever I talk to couples in, in marriage, I tell them the natural course of any relationship is toward drift. Okay? Either you're going to grow it out of determination and effort and work, or it's going to diminish by default. you got to work at relationships. I still take Valerie on dates. And, and I love it. There's times when the, the waitress will come up to our table and say, how have you two been married? 28 years. What are you always talking about? What's, what's with all these words? Huh? Because I still date my wife. Husbands, have you asked your wife on a date lately? Huh? Yeah, ask her out. Might as well sneak that one in there, right? That's right. But it's the same way with God. Either you work at the relationship or it will diminish by default. David prayed these words. He said to God, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do you hear him calling today? That's the purpose. That's the reason you're here this morning. You're here to hear God say, I want to be with you. Seek my face. And what is your response? Yes, Lord, your face 
will I seek? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Not how to pay off the mortgage, not how to have enough retirement, not how to get the kids through college, not all the things and pressures the world puts on you, not what TV program you've got to get home and watch tonight and you hope nobody calls because you're in the middle of it, right? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God says in Jeremiah 29, you will seek, my, seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And here's, here's the reason. The tragedy of, the, the tragic results related to a people who want just enough God to get them by and to carry them along until Jesus comes back will only result in frustration, shallow living, hollow philosophies, doctrinal arguments, pretend community, a need to be made to feel good, and little impact on a world that desperately needs the God that you claim to serve. This is one of my longtime intercessors over here, so I love, love you, Sam. Thanks for always taking time to be here. Yeah. But this is sadly the state of the church today. And I don't say this pointing a finger because I have to recognize today that I've done my share to contribute to the problem. I like to get the, the applause of men. <laughs> you know, I've been too blind to see the need of presence above all else. Maybe too timid to, to, to talk about it. And maybe too satisfied to reach beyond just an average faith so we need to hear it again god is with us the entire universe is alive with the very presence of god he's not some strange distant force god is a loving heavenly father who wants to show himself to us in amazing amazing ways we have within us the capacity to know us more full to know him more fully if we will just get our eyes off the stuff of the world, pause long enough to sit in his presence and to realize he's straining and reaching with everything that his own laws have limited to, fighting against those things in his desire to be with us. Pastor George would say, would have said, he's the hound of heaven. Yeah. Do you hear God saying, Seek my face. Seek my face. Seek my face. Not a form of me. Seek me. Seek me. How will you respond? Let's pray. Dear Lord, <clears throat> 